0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's the Monday after Notre Dame falls to Louisville, 33 to 20. And we welcome you to the latest installment of Hey Horka on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. We would love for you to like this video and subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. The guy on your left, you know, is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. My name is Darren Fritchett, talk show host in South Bend, Indiana. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT, I've got a show from 5 to 7 Eastern time that you can follow at WSBTradio.com. And Tyler will join me on the program later tonight. Well, good to see you. Glad you're back from Louisville safely after another long night of watching football and pondering football and thinking about football. So hopefully you've got a few, you know, a few hours of sleep, but I'm glad we're here to talk some football once again.
1: Yeah, four hours on Saturday night, I believe it was. Um, Sunday morning, let's call it. So in bed in the hotel in Louisville at 6 a.m. and up by 10. Uh, Yeah, again, I don't have the magazine with me again this week. Um, I actually came up with the headline for it, out of cards. So if you go to blueandgold.com or or blueandgold online, you will see that. That was kind of my brainchild of the night because, Darren, that's where this – is that right? And I know the pun was intended there, but Notre Dame five and two out of cards. I mean, it this is a program that wants to make it to the college football playoff every single year. You lose two games by early October, you're done. You're out of cards. And it's kind of a microcosm for not just that game against the cards, the Cardinals, but really Notre Dame football as a whole in 2023, right? That this thing is, was supposed to be this, grandeur like there was supposed to be all this grandeur and it was supposed to be a season that goes down to the wire you make the college football playoff or you're right there at the end and it's it's over in in uh, early October just think where we were
0: with 3 minutes to go in the Ohio State game and now where we are now yeah it's a, it's a 360 and i think the yeah. part that is concerning is the fact Are the players playing at a high level? No, but there are so many question marks after the last three games of coaching decisions, play calling on the offensive side, that I just think it makes it worse. I think we can handle as fans, the players have a day where it doesn't go well. They're kids, but when the coaches do things that make you scratch your head and drive you nuts and drive you to the loose emoji message board, that's when I I think you start to get a little concerned.
1: Yeah, it's, it's reached that point where more questions than answers, right? You thought that this season was going to be one for Notre Dame with a lot of answers. You have the answer at quarterback. Your defensive coordinator is in a second year. You have all of these graduate students on defense. Your wide receiver core is better because it's a little deeper and more talented than last year's for sure. But here we are through seven games and you have questions about the quarterback, which you didn't, we're going to get into that a little later in the show, but there are questions about Sam Hartman that you didn't expect to arise. And obviously there are questions about Jared Parker. We're also going to talk about that in this show, but I mean, the questions start from the top in the main, the headline of this video. And what we're going to spend the most time talking about today is Marcus Freeman, I'm I think everybody watching this video right now, everyone that roots for Notre Dame, us too, Darren, that talk and write about Notre Dame for a living, we've got questions, right? And it's kind of ironic that today was the shortest Marcus Freeman press conference of the year because we're in a time where you need to add. I think that's kind of where this is at, Darren. You've got so many questions that you literally just can't ask them. So it gets to a point of what do you ask? Like, which are the most important questions? And that's not a situation that Notre Dame wanted to be in at this point in the year. Yeah. We don't even get to talk about the
0: opponent anymore. We have to focus yeah. as media members yep. on the team because you only get two questions. And there was a lot of follow-ups that I wish it could have been asked today. It would have been, it would have helped us understand a few more things, but mm-hmm. before I get to some of the questions that you have and or well, the questions that you chose are, are fantastic. Great work by, the Irish fans at blueandgold.com. But before we do that, I think we need to do something for ourselves to make us feel a whole lot better. And you have the answer.
1: Yeah. Make, make ourselves feel better. Look, (laughs) I I brought this, I brought this with me on the, uh, on the trip to Louisville because I needed it. Like I said, like we said last week, Darren, one Notre Dame football makes you lose sleep just in general Two. I'm up till 5, 6 a.m. writing about Notre Dame football. So Caldera Lab is my go to. When I was up at 6 and getting into bed on Sunday morning, I was like, I'm not getting into that bed without putting on my base layer, which is uh, the moisturizer that I was just showing y'all, the clean slate. Notre Dame needs to wipe itself, its own slate clean. I needed to wipe mine clean after whatever the heck I saw in person in Louisville. So it's a three step regimen that Caldera Lab uses to give you, you guys, Notre Dame football fans, what you need. The clean slate starts and ends your day. It's a face wash that leaves all types of skin. Refresh the base layer, daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day. I was, I was putting on my base layer at a time when other people might have been jumpstarting their day, but I was winding down with it. So to each their own type of thing with that. The good is a multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as reduce... The visibility of wrinkles and fine lines, every drop of the serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. That's this guy right here. Again, it's, I love going on these road trips and even if you're flying, you can put that in your little travel kit. Uh, And then this is a a little, a little add on here, the icon. When you're up till six and Notre Dame football is making you lose sleep, you just kind of rub that around your eyes and gets rid of those dark bags and Uh, you're on your way. So again, fall is here. We're about to get into the holidays. Don't let that stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in skincare game with an easy routine. Keep your face looking pretty, no matter your schedule. My schedule is crazy. We've we've gone over that five times already in the first 10 minutes of this podcast. Caldera Lab makes it just a little bit easier for me. Join the 100,000 other men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self, give your first and your best self-impression. Darren, three more uh, Notre Dame home games. You can. There's still time to get Caldera Lab and and, and get looking right for those, no matter what Notre Dame's record is, right? Uh, Who knows what it's going to be for, say, I don't know, the Pitt game, the Wake Forest game. I I don't know. This thing can really spiral out of control, Darren. I think today
0: I found out I do need to start using Caldera Lab because someone said to me, you look awful. And I'm not kidding because hockey started this weekend doing the play by play for the Irish. I think I've worked yeah. 13 out of the last 14 days, but you can top that. You've worked every day since the football season started. So yeah. I'm not going to complain. All right. I tell you what, Tyler, why don't we ask the first question and we'll mix in our super chat thought kind of in yeah. the, one way to get this conversation started? And sure. our first question comes from DCW Fly California. How does the loss to Louisville change your perception of the Marcus Freeman era to date? Now, Hank has a super chat that we're going to bring on the screen here, and we can have a conversation about this, Tyler. and He says, Notre Dame Nation needs to chill. Greatness takes time. Look how long it took BK, JH at Michigan, KS at Georgia. Marcus Freeman will continue to learn, grow, and develop. Okay, so...
1: Appreciate that, Hank, for sure. Uh, Yeah, Darren, if if you've got a direction you want to go with that, go ahead.
0: Well, this is too obvious, so I, I hate to be that obvious person, but let's also remember BK was at Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, and Cincinnati before getting to Notre Dame. And I talked to someone over the weekend that was close to Brian Kelly, and he put it this way. Whether you like Brian or not, he went into a week knowing we need to do this, this, and this and in particular on the offensive side of the football, he had a great offensive mind. So he could help Tommy through some difficult moments during the week and during a game. And I think right now you've got a first-time head coach, a first-time play caller, and I think Jared's going to have to rely on a couple of guys on his staff that have play called before just to talk through some things, try to get this offense going, gaduli and Rudolph are the two guys I'm thinking of. So – BK just had a lot of time in smaller places to learn and make mistakes and grow. It's tough doing it on this stage for Marcus.
1: That's exactly what I was telling my colleague, Jack Sobel, uh, while we were driving back from Louisville yesterday. It's the experience factor. Like, how, how about this for irony, Darren? How many times have we heard Marcus Freeman himself when talking about Sam Hartman say, There is no substitute for experience. The experience is invaluable. We're going to be better at the quarterback position because this guy has done it for five years. The same thing is true about himself and where he's at. He's in his second year. When Brian Kelly got here, he had been doing it for, at the head coaching level, about a decade already at those other stops that you mentioned. Marcus Freeman was thrown into a fire, the biggest of fires. It's Notre Dame football, it's South Bend, Indiana, it's the Mecca of what we watch every single Saturday. And as soon as you slip up once, twice, and now it's been seven times in the first two years of his tenure, including that Fiesta Bowl loss to Oklahoma State, it gets piled on. It is a literal snowball effect where you start with a tiny little issue, and then all of a sudden you've got a mound of problems. And Marcus Freeman's got a mound of problems right now. And so the question – Uh, that our message board subscriber asked, how does it change the perception? I don't know if it changes my perception because I always had like in the deepest parts of my brain or in my gut or in my heart, whatever you want to say, I always felt that Marcus Freeman doing this for the first time was going to be a little bit of an issue. And now with the Louisville loss, the Ohio state 10 men debacle and you can lump Marshall into this you you can lump Stanford into this. the deepest fears that I had that maybe Marcus Freeman is in a little over his head are being put out in plain sight. I mean we could talk about his press conference a little bit too Darren today like what he was saying, the way he said it, it sounds like a guy that is scrambling for answers doesn't have the answers. I mentioned it earlier in the show a lot of questions. Not enough answers. I think it's fair to to maybe rationalize, hypothesize, theorize, whatever you want to say, that he's in a little over his head potentially right now. Not to say he can't dig himself out of the hole, but where he is right now, I'm not sure he's completely comfortable with what he's doing and running an operation the way Brian Kelly for 12 years here could and did because he knew what he was doing a little bit more he had done it before and he had he took his lumps sure but he got this thing to a point where it won 10 games in a row 10 games at least 10 games five seasons in a row never been done before at Notre Dame so you can say what you want about Brian Kelly but he did enough to to do that and Marcus Freeman is staring another non-10 win season right in the face they could go into this bye week five and three Darren, if they don't do something against USC if they don't spring an upset because it would be an upset at this point you're you got to beat the a top 10 team in the country reigning Heisman Trophy winner I don't think many Notre Dame fans expect that to happen at this point so you're staring five and three in the face guess what that was Notre Dame's same exact record last year on the way to eight and four nine and four with the bowl game victory so it's scuffling it's scrambling right now Darren is that fair to say
0: yes and To answer the question, I think the perception for me started to change a little bit in the Ohio State game when you had the the 10 men on the field debacle. And then you have the Duke game where they were playing for the field goal when Estime scored the touchdown. He was just supposed to center the ball. And then he was supposed to take a knee at the one when you're trailing. That was eye-popping. And then when you have fourth and eleven. From your own 35 with under 10 minutes to go, you're only down two scores. Now, to me, only down two scores is not a reason to panic. Had it worked, I still think we'd be talking about it, but we would applaud to, hey, it worked out. Marcus said he was playing the percentages. I don't have a percentages book in front of me, but I'd like to get further explanation to how the percentage play was to go for it in that spot when you're only down two scores and if you think about it you get the ball back you score with 3 minutes left you still have time to get a stop and get the ball back so this is not end of the world moment Tyler if there's 5 minutes left in the game then we're starting to have that conversation but to me that was way too early and that was deer in the headlights look to me which is very very concerning so that decision started to change my thought process a little bit. And then today there were a couple of cringeworthy moments during the presser. And I think the one thing Tyler also today that changed my perception when he was asked if there's a play calling issue and I believe higher Elko highlighted his thoughts here a second ago on our message board. He says he has no issues whatsoever with the offensive play calling his concern is with player execution. So when you have 10 in the box and you're running a third down play into that 10-man wall, could someone please send me the coaching tape of how to break down seven blockers against 10 and how that's going to be a positive play? Because if it's about player execution, we need to teach those seven how to block 10. Maybe we have to start Sticking on our feet and tripping people, which is illegal, tying their shoelaces together and to make them fall. But Tyler, it was player execution today. Later on, he did mention the coaches have to coach it better. But there was not one moment where there was a question about a play call. And I know their buddies going way back, but not to even say anything general today, just say the whole thing needs to get better. But the way he worded things today, Made me very, very uneasy, and I just wonder how the players would react to knowing that the plays that were being called should have worked, and that this is all about execution and the way the coaches are going to coach it from now on. That was my cringe-worthy moment of the day,
1: and it was just a microcosm of some of the things that always arise in these Mark Freeman press conferences where. He says they need to coach it better. They need to execute it better. They just need to be better. But you're starting to get to a point where you don't have belief that it's going to get better. There's no tangible uh, examples of, hey, this is how we're actually getting better. That's what worries me is, okay. yeah, of course you got to be better. You just lost 33 to 20 to a team that's not nearly as talented as you in theory. We'll get to this, too, later in the show. I thought there were some points. Siri was about to go off on me here. Dang technology. (laughs) Um, I thought there were some points in that game where, and this is also worrisome to me, Louisville looked a little faster. Louisville looked a little better with skill players. And This is Louisville versus Notre Dame. They rushed the field on you for a reason, even though you already had one loss. Like It shouldn't happen. You you should beat Louisville pretty much every single time you run out there. I don't think Marcus Freeman has answers for that. He hasn't showed us in the press conference, like, this is why this has happened. This is why we just lost to Louisville. This is why we only had 10 players on the field against Ohio State. Like, you could say in the press conference, we need to be better. Of course you do. You need to get that 11th player on the field. To your point, Darren, You need to be better against a 10-man box. Of course you do. You also need to be more creative, and that goes back to play calling. So how can you sit there and say it's not a play calling issue when you are literally – the defense is tipping its hand. It is showing you its cards, and you just fold to it on purpose almost.
0: Let me defend Marcus from
1: one standpoint, and I I
0: think this is very, very important. Was he allowed by the administration – to go all in on whoever he wanted to be offensive coordinator. If it's the Utah guy, the Kansas State guy, pick your name that that popped up when this process was underway. Was he roadblocked by someone? Was he not allowed to get the guy he wanted? And is this a situation where he had to? and, And I don't mean this disrespectfully to Coach Parker, but did he have to settle for someone on his staff because he couldn't get the guy he wanted for whatever reason, I think that's a fair question to ask at this moment. Did Marcus get everything he wanted when he was looking for his coordinator?
1: Obviously, the administration going to tell you yes. But here are so like there is one fact involved in that: Jared Parker wasn't his number one. I mean, they did bring Andy Ludwig on to campus. He was at that hockey game. So was zero then- But he
0: there to visit you
1: know <laughs> right that, that's another thing i said to jack sobel on the drive up here yesterday was say what you want about jared parker and it i mean it hasn't looked great and i i will say this too going all the way back to march if you're on the blue and message board which you should be go there sign up we're doing a special this week you can get half off a year's subscription i've been saying since march i'm not sure about jared parker i'm not sure. Like yeah. this guy's inexperienced. I it if something's not gonna work out with this offense, it's probably gonna fall back on him. And and we're pretty much at that point now in mid-October. But to his defense, he's sitting there at a hockey game thinking he's gonna help this guy, Andy Ludwig. And then a week later, it turns out he's the guy, and he doesn't have the help of an Andy Ludwig. Or I mean they brought in Gino Gadulli. That that was big time. Um, but that's that's you you can't have that if you're Notre Dame where you think you're going to have one guy and then all of a sudden the guy that's supposed to be helping that guy becomes your guy like as soon as all that went down Darren I was on the message board saying watch out for this I'm not sure about it and it's gotten to a point where Jared Parker needs to show something in the last five games otherwise he's on the chopping block like if Marcus Freeman wants to save his own behind, and get this thing going in the right direction. He can't be buddy-buddy with Jared Parker and try to work things out and give him another year because if it gets into next year and it looks this bad or worse because Sam Hartman is still a six-year quarterback. It shouldn't be looking this bad with him. What's it going to look like with CJ Carr, Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie if you still have Jared Parker? Like, I don't want to get too far down the road. We need to see what happens in these next five games. Yeah, or another yeah, transfer quarterback. Hey,
0: Tyler, let let's let me just jump in really quick. You went nine and four last year. You could be on your way to eight and four this year. Maybe, maybe, not saying for sure. That sets up next year as a massive year for Marcus Freeman. It is a must-win year. And are yep. you gonna go into next year with Angeli, Minchie, and Carr? Or once again, do you have to go somewhere? and get another quarterback because if you don't have a guy that can win you 9-10 games it gets a little concerning
1: it doesn't matter who the guy is to win you 9-10 games you just need to win 9 or 10 games and and that the same goes for this year man like okay they're an underdog against USC at this point I don't I and, and this is the sad part Darren Since we're not going to talk a whole lot of USC today because nobody wanted to ask about USC, it goes to your point about when we were in the press conference today, we're asking all these Notre Dame-centric questions. I'm asking why Notre Dame is so bad on third down when I could have been asking, how the heck are you going to stop Caleb Williams? And good thing that question did get asked. But we need to talk a little bit of USC because, look, this was supposed to be a game where Notre Dame could – Sort of stamp like we're here and now it's a game that, like for example, Darren, two weeks ago, even coming out of Ohio State when Notre Dame had just lost for the first time this season, were you already writing off USC? Were you like, ah, this Notre Notre Dame lost to Ohio State that automatically means they're going to lose to USC? Absolutely not. And I don't know if I'm to the point of totally writing it off right now, but man, it, it has changed quickly to where. It's kind of sad that Arizona is just who played USC to two overtimes. Is that right? On Saturday? Yeah. Was that Arizona? Yes. I think I was, I, was at a, I was at a Waffle House writing for the magazine you know and kind of loosely. Yeah. yeah, two or three overtimes, whatever it was. I'm not so sure Notre Dame can get to that point with USC this year. It, it, it kind of feels like last year where you go into the game with a little bit of hope and like, Maybe the USC defense is so bad that it allows the Notre Dame offense to do some things that it hasn't done to that point in the season, and for Notre Dame this year in the last three games. But I, I don't know if you get to three overtimes with USC on Saturday. I think that's a win, and, and if you're Notre Dame, you got to win that game. Like it, it's it's just my point is there, and it's it's kind of sad that Arizona can do to USC in Los Angeles this past weekend what I don't think Notre Dame can do this weekend at home like that's kind of where this Notre Dame season is at right now the faith is there any like it it feels gone I get what
0: you're saying there Um, I, I think one thing that I want to jump on really quick and defend Parker from one aspect now I'm not defending him on this part but I would like A real true explanation. We got a little today that Pat Coogan was injured and didn't do a whole lot on Tuesday, but the offensive line rotation was just unique. It was unique. (laughs) And I talked to a former college coach over the weekend and just shook his head. That's something you do with defensive linemen. You don't do that with offensive linemen because we talk about continuity. And you were at the press conference. What did Joe Alt say? Even though he wasn't, saying this was a bad thing. He goes, we got to get back to continuity and five working as one. Mm -hmm. It's awfully hard to do that when Shroud's at left guard, then he goes to right guard, then let's put Christophic in at center. To me, Tyler, what I've learned over the last 25 years being around college coaches, you go through the week, you find your best five, you go with them. If somebody isn't playing well, you rotate them out. But to move parts around I know Joe was very diplomatic and said, hey, we worked on these accommodations during the week, but Tyler, that was just not something you see happen very often. And I just can't believe when you are a group of individuals that are so tied together, how that can be a positive, in particular, going on the road with a very loud environment where you have to work silent counts. It's hard to hear each other. i just like a really further explanation to get into why this gave Notre Dame the best chance to win on Saturday. With that being said, if I'm the offensive coordinator and if I'm Sam Hartman and I look down the field and wide receivers aren't getting open, the last two defensive coordinators have told us they aren't scared of the Irish wide receivers. They're sitting on the run. They say, go ahead and throw it down the field. I'll bet you you can't complete it. Or they're not going to catch it, and teams right now are daring them to do it because they're going to stop the run. And by golly, they've done it. So Mike Elko created the blueprint, and until Jared Parker comes up with an answer, every single team is going to play
1: copycat. And it's kind of what they did to Wake Forest when Sam Hartman was there last year because he had wide receivers that Wake Forest recruits, and I know At Perry. Donovan Green, like, that that's another sad thing in in itself. I think Notre Dame would rather have some of those wide receivers right now than the ones that they have, or at least have these guys play to that level. But then Wake Forest didn't have an offensive line, and Notre Dame literally showed that it is not confident at all in its offensive line by doing what it did. It's one thing to say – Okay, we're not sure about Pat Coogan, whether it's because of the injury or the way that he's playing. Let's see what Billy Strouth has. And you just make one sub at left guard and say, Billy Strouth, go show us what you got. It was almost a wholesale offensive line change. It was in the interior. The the tackles aren't going to change. But you shuffled the entire interior around all the way down to putting out there a new center. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe it. And then Strouth gets run over for a sack Uh, um just the whole thing didn't look good um mid-game is not a time for an offensive line audition like that should have been settled during the week and said hey we might have and 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 that is a little concerning to me if the Notre Dame coaches it sounds like they did worked on that throughout the week and said hey we might have something here Darren how are you ever going to know how how are you going to know in one series that yeah, Christophe at center and Shroud at left guard, and yeah, this is working. Okay, like if it if they would have scored a touchdown, would have, would they have stuck with it? And then it doesn't work the next series, and all of a sudden, two series, you have enough of a sample size to say, yeah, this is it or this isn't it. Like, what could they have found out by doing that that was advantageous and positive for Notre Dame? I, I don't know. That was puzzling. That. That, and that goes back to the scuffling and the scrambling that I talk about. If you're doing that in the middle of a game, something's not right.
0: I believe you're at the the Tuesday press conferences with the two offensive. I'm sorry, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator. Were you with Parker last week?
1: Um, <laughs> so I overheard. I overheard some of his stuff. I, I can't remember. Uh, well, exactly. I'm but, yeah. at,
0: I don't think this was two weeks ago. I think it was last week that the weeks are coming together, but he was asked about the yes. receivers and Chancey Stuckey and he praised Chancey for the recruiting and the development. And now here we are where there's just no respect being given by the opposition to those wide receivers. And Tyler, there's still a lot of young guys. You don't give up on people. Had the Irish given up on Marie Stovall 20 years ago. Maybe he wouldn't have been in the NFL for six or seven years. He's with Brady Quinn and Jeff Samarja. He was supposed to be, Tyler, just so you know, he was supposed to be the next Randy Moss coming out of high school. And the first three years, he really didn't do anything, and then it clicked because they never gave up on him. So I don't want to give up on any of these wide receivers, but all I can say is based on where we are on October 9th, I don't think Notre Dame has a guy at wide receiver. They have guys, but they don't have a guy, if you know where I'm going.
1: Yeah. Uh, I agree. Rico Flores can be good. Can he be great? Can he be the guy? I'm not sure. I put Jaden Greathouse in that same boat. A he, lacrosse he, player was their most dangerous guy. It's exactly what I was just about to say. A walk on lacrosse player who's, it's funny. I was sitting there in the press box and I was sitting next to some of the Irish Illustrated guys and they give, you know, they give us a little flip card that gives everyone's height and weight. And after Jordan Faison did his thing, I literally flipped through it and it said 5'10 in and in an eighth 182 pounds. And I literally looked at the Irish Illustrated guys. I was like, this is me. It, the guy my size is out there outperforming. I know Chris Tyree is a smaller guy, but he, he's a little you know more beefed up. He's outperforming Chris Tyree and Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores like what, what is wrong with that picture? And it's it's great. You get production yes. out of anyone you can. Yeah. But, I mean, if he's doing that, why aren't the other guys doing that? Or why can't they do that? Can they? I'm not sure. It hasn't happened in the last three weeks.
0: Yeah. Hey, good for Jordan, man. You're on football scholarship, we found out today. He's still playing lacrosse. Yeah. Good for him, man. Go out there and practice this week. Dominate. And hopefully we'll see him again on Saturday. I guess if he can make plays, why not? Yeah. Why not?
1: Yeah, we got we've got a super chat here. Um, I did not watch the Mike Goolsby show last night yet. Instead, I, I was watching my Dallas Cowboys just get absolutely drubbed by the San Francisco 49ers. But according to Rick Palmer, thanks for the super chat. Mike Goolsby's point the fluff needs to go away. They need to focus on fundamentals, tackle, routes, O line blocking, and QB change plays when needed. Freeman was asked if he, uh, if Sam Hartman has the luxury or the green light to go ahead to change plays at the line of scrimmage, I think he does. It is. I need to like really study the offense and, and watch it a few times over to see if there were instances where he really needs to change the play. But uh, people, it's one of those things like play calling. Darren, it's like easy to say, "Yep, we didn't succeed because the play calling was bad." It's another one of those low-hanging fruit things. Sam Hartman needs to change the play at the line of scrimmage. How often does that happen in a football game? Like Especially in college football. In the NFL, you might see the really good quarterbacks do it three to five times a game, somewhere in there. College football, maybe you do it twice and it works and you hit a touchdown, but I don't think that's a huge thing. The other things are big, like the tackling, the fundamentals. I think this program's at a point where it's just – scurrying along at a very slow and winding. I think that that's a good word. It's winding. It's, it's not on a straight path forward. You look at this Notre Dame football program right now and you can't say, yeah, they're, they're in a linear direction. They're headed upward. I don't see that. So it's all the other stuff. It, it's not a, uh, it's not a foolproof, foolproof operation right now. Like it was in the BK years outside of maybe not winning those big games. Like at least with BK, you knew, they were on a path forward.
0: Yeah. And also, Tyler, today in Marcus's press conference, he said that they may simplify the offense going forward. Yeah. Let's see if it makes a difference.
1: I don't know okay. about simplification, but something needs to change there. I mean, if that, if you're going to simplify it,
0: then maybe you should go with five offensive linemen and at the start of the week and go with them. Yeah, Yeah, probably. I don't know. Hey, Augie's, give us some good news about Augie's and all the great memories.
1: Absolutely. So obviously if you've been watching this show, I think what are we like, eight or nine into this? We've had one every week of the football season. Then you've heard me talk about Augie's locker room. When you come to Notre Dame for a game, maybe it's this week for the USC game. Still a big game, contrary to uh, what people are saying. Um, It's definitely been lessened a little bit on the importance factor here we were weeks ago saying is notre dame going to have college game day again uh no we have to settle for big noon kickoff apparently uh brady quinn and the guys are going to be here but maybe you'll be here too uh you have to make time for augie's locker room they have a wide selection of notre dame stadium pieces jerseys helmets autographs and one-of-a-kind Rockney items you can find exclusive joe montana signed items in a famous and famous sculptor jerry mckenna's replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. Augie gets new items all the time. If he doesn't have it in his store, he will find it for you. Visit Augie at 1811 South Bend Avenue, right around the corner from campus and see the vintage helmet display dating back to 1890. He's got some amazing items that you need to see. So go to Augie's locker room right there. If you're watching on YouTube, that's what you will find on your web browser or give him a call at 574-277-6363. Okay.
0: Tyler Horka, Darren Pritchett with you. Hey, Horka, here on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Let's move along to another Hey, Horka question. This comes from, wow, Ty Webb, one of the great golfers of all time. I'm telling you. Ty's watching this. I'm honored. All right. He wants (laughs) to know which coordinators will be back for Notre Dame next year, both one or neither.
1: Oh, I kind of, on, on the blue and gold.com message board, I kind of stirred things up with this created some chaos. <laughs> I'm going to go neither. If I had to choose, I'm going to say neither. We've talked about Jared Parker and what hasn't happened. So that's going to be performance based. And I can't get inside the mind of Al golden and I'm not going to speak for him, but it is our job to speculate a little bit. It, this is why Al Golden would leave to me. He came here from a team that played for the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So he knows what that high operation, you know, high level, high scale, high expectations operation is like. I didn't think he expected to get to a Notre Dame team that's struggling to win 10 games. Like He was expecting, hey, I'm going to go to Notre Dame and I'm going to be the D.C., and we're going to play for college football national titles and make the CFP and and be one of the best teams in college football every year. Notre Dame's not that. I don't think it's all his fault. I think he's been better this year than he was last year. Notre Dame's been a pretty good defensive team this year, but Darren, how many more years does he want to stick around and try to see if this is the place that he needs to be? All I'm saying is I could see him taking another NFL job. He wasn't even a DC with the Cincinnati Bengals. He was, I think it was just a linebackers coach. I could see him doing that again, just saying, Hey, this, this foray back into college football was nice. I thought we were going to be a little bit better at Notre Dame, but I kind of just want to ride this thing out with the pros, maybe get lucky and get on a team that is headed to the Super Bowl again. And Maybe that'll be the pinnacle of my career, finally winning the big one. But right now, Notre Dame is not close to winning the big one in college football. And I can't see how long he wants to stick around and recruit and go through the the grind of a 24-7, 365 college football season when maybe this isn't exactly the Notre Dame that he signed up for.
0: I know we're not assigning grades, but... I'm not as down on Golden as a lot of Irish fans I've seen post messages. I think he's in the BB minus category so far this year. I, I think the defense has kept them in a lot of football games. The last three weeks, the offense just has not been up to the level we expected, nor what they expected. Late in that Louisville game, they were put in tough spots with Notre Dame turning the ball over left and right. So I'm not saying they were perfect. The run defense, we continue to hear they're playing hard and they're doing this. And if you take away these long runs, well, I think we need to stop saying they're good, but they're giving up long runs because these long runs seem to be happening every game now. So they're getting gashed. I mean, you, you gave up, what, 17 to Ohio State at the start of the year. Would you have taken that? Of course. Absolutely. Duke was held to 14 on their home field with a guy that's supposed to be a first round NFL draft pick at quarterback and Riley Leonard. Now the Louisville game got away from them in the second half. Again, they were put in some tough spots, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think Golden's done an okay job this year. I, I, I don't get the negativity, but I will say this. I agree with you. I think, his agent probably is looking for a head coaching job if that's what he wants. If he wants to go back to the NFL, that's probably going to be an option. I just kind of expected him to be here two or three years and then move on, and, and I see Patrick there, Golden, goes to the NFL or a Power 5 head coaching spot. That would not shock me in the least bit.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with him. The, the two- to three-year thing was always his time frame, and these two years – haven't exactly been what he thought they were going to be. And, and I totally agree with you, Darren, not all his fault. It's a good defense. At, at times it's been great maybe, but it hasn't consistently consistently been great. Like there's flashes of elite level, but it's not all there. And if I'm Al Golden and I'm his agent, I'm sitting back thinking, does this thing really get that much better in the next two or three years? Because at that point, what will we have done for the last five years? We went from, you know, a really high, and the Bengals have not been great this year, but they've been one of the better teams in the NFL the last couple of years. For as long as Golden has been at Notre Dame the last couple of years, Notre Dame has not been one of the best teams in college football. I mean, this is a a team that's lost six times in the last two seasons. And Darren, I I don't think they're done losing this season. I, I think there's a couple more defeats on the way. So how long does Al Golden wanna be a part of that? I'm not sure. And of course we have to talk a little bit about Parker in this conversation too. Please do. Are you at, and I'm gonna ask you, are you at the point where it's kind of do or die for him in terms of, hey, show me something in the last five games, or this was a one year audition and you failed it and we're gonna take our chances with somebody else. Are you there yet? Well, I think we both agree.
0: There's no point in getting rid of coordinators during the season. That's yeah, counterproductive no. He's, from my standpoint.
1: And it's not even, it's not even close to being, hey, you've no. been so bad that no. you need to be fired. So no, we're not
0: there. No, we're not even yeah. we're not to that point yet. But I do agree with you. The remaining five games on the schedule is an opportunity to show adjustments and the ability to. Take what the defense is giving him and shoving it right back at him. Defeat them with alterations to your offense. Is the offense perfect? Absolutely not. The middle of the offensive line still is scuffling, as we see with the now offensive line rotation. The wide receivers aren't getting open. So is Jared Parker working with a perfect situation? No, but rarely do you have a perfect situation in college football unless you're USC's offense or LSU a few years ago when they had all these all pros playing. But he's got to show us adaptability and the ability to fix these things on the fly. And right now, we haven't seen an answer to what the opposition has done to them. It's not like this is the first time anybody has done this, playing tight coverage on the outside and loading up the box to stop the run. This has been happening for a long time, and he's got to be able to come up with answers, whether it's, you know, dunk the football, four or five-yard passes, just getting the ball out quick, wide receiver screens, you got to do something. And I did hear Tim Hyde. I listened to the post-game show with with Mike Singer on Saturday, and he was asked, and I'll do my best to paraphrase, Tim, I hope I'm not chopping your words, but he was asked, <laughs> why does August Estimate look so slow all of a sudden in the run game? And Tim laid out, basically, they're trying to do two things. They're doing duo blocking, where they're double teaming, and Audric has to read the double team and then go the other direction. So he's not downhill. He's kind of, this is not the right way of saying it, but he's kind of tiptoeing, waiting for something to open up. And they run a lot of counters, which is going to be something that's going to take a little bit of time. So if people are wondering why Audric looks slow at times, That's something Tim said, and I I respect his opinion on that. But there's got to be, Tyler, some adaptation and correcting here in the offensive game plan because you just can't keep running into a brick wall. You've got to be able to defeat what the last two teams have done.
1: Yeah, uh, I think he's gotten away from some of the things that made Notre Dame successful in those first four games, and it was easier to do those things against the level of competition that they were going against. But to me, it feels like there's an element of fear that, yeah, those things worked against Tennessee State, but just because we're playing Duke or Louisville or Ohio State, they're not going to work, so he's not even trying them. And those are the screens. Those are the more off-tackle runs, Um, some of the misdirection, the motion stuff. It scares me because Marcus Freeman says they need to go – They need to simplify a little bit. It feels like they already have simplified in these three games because they've been playing tougher opponents. And so how much more can you simplify? I don't know if simplification is the answer. And, of course, what does he exactly mean by simplification? I'm not sure. But, Darren, to me, it's not simplify, play better football. It's just find a way to play better football. And if that means – doing some things that you weren't doing previously, then, then do them. Like, it doesn't have to be a, an absolute, like the, the, the answer for this thing isn't, yeah, we just need to be more simple and, and get back to doing what we, what we do. It's not just, just, just figure out what works and, and do it. I don't think Jared Parker is at a point where he knows exactly what works or Darren, does it feel to you that maybe he's second guessing himself a little and there's a little bit of doubt, in that coach's box that, Hey, Hey, this isn't going to work. So I'm not even going to try it. It, it. it seems like and somebody made a good point on our message board. Ever since that screen to Jadarian price didn't work against Ohio state, Jared Parker has been like, Oh man, I can't be in the doghouse again for trying something that didn't work. So I'm just going to kind of get to the basics here and we're going to run a very vanilla offense. And, They're just running right into the teeth of the defense, playing right into what Duke wanted to do, playing right into what Louisville wanted to do. And the result has been 21 points versus Duke. You barely win that football game and then 20 points versus Louisville. And you lose that football game by a lot. Like, I'm not sure if Jared Parker has an identity. Jared Parker has a list of bullet points that he says, we're going to get to this, this, and this during this game. And it kind of feels like they're just feeling it out as things come and you can't do that at this level of college football.
0: I think third and short yardage has become grab bag. I don't yeah. think they feel comfortable with anything. It feels like they're just caught in yeah. between that little yep. counter pitch play at a Tyree just seemed awfully cute. So third, down, third down needs to get blown up. And let's start with a new slate and try to build this thing up. I mean, you're in spots where, If it's third and two like it was, I believe, on that play, you got two downs to get two yards. You should be able to do that. I do want to say this, that Parker does need a little help from his players from one standpoint. He called a wide receiver screen, got a few yards, came back later and faked it. Tyree ran the deep fade, and Hartman threw it within the catching radius of Tyree. And I know it's being debated if he should have caught it or not, I'm going to be diplomatic and say if you have a player who's been a wide receiver for a good amount of time, they probably make that catch. But for a young man who's making the transition to wide receiver this year, I think it's more of a challenging catch than if it were Michael Floyd in his third year or or Jeff Samarja. They probably make that catch. So I'm going to give Tyree a little bit of grace here by saying he hasn't done it long, Veteran player probably makes the catch for a guy still learning the position, learning those type of catches. I think it was challenging, but it was put in place, as Brian Keller would say, within the catching radius of Chris Tyree. And unfortunately, that would have been a touchdown. That was a great call by Parker. But in that moment, I'll agree with Marcus. They didn't get the execution they were looking for.
1: I had the conversation with some guys in the press box right after that play. A better wide receiver, a more polished wide receiver, to your point, somebody that's been doing it for a while. It's not that it, – of course it is that the catch was a little difficult because it's over his head. He, it's it's a tough catch. Yeah. His body was contorted a little bit. Here's the thing, Darren. Somebody that's been doing this for a while would have – because Chris Terry was tracking it for a long time. That's a, that's a long throw. I think it was about a 40-yard, maybe 50-yard throw in the air. That's a long time to be tracking the ball somebody that's been doing this for a while does the subtle things in the route running to relocate. And all of a sudden, instead of catching it here, maybe you're catching it here. It's just a couple missteps that Tyree made, or he straight lined it a little bit too much. I think a better wide receiver cuts it out a little bit more works to the pylon a little bit more. And all of a sudden you're catching it on the numbers instead of over your head. That's a problem.
0: Notre Dame is
1: Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, please. My, the last thing I want to say about that is Notre Dame is relying on a guy that's been doing this for like eight months to try to make that catch. That's the point I was If you had a guy ask. with his speed, if you had a guy with his speed that's been doing it for a while, that's a touchdown. Like A.T. Perry for uh, or Donovan Green for Wake Forest, Sam Hartman's thrown that touchdown to those guys 20 times. I don't think there's anyone on this Notre Dame roster that can catch that touchdown pass.
0: Hmm. well at Notre Dame you feel like they shouldn't have to move a running back to wide receiver or have a lacrosse player be impactful guys at the position yeah maybe
1: Jordan Faison makes that catch
0: (laughs) all right let's go to the next question mvj1120 wants to know what's wrong with Sam Hartman lately
1: Hey, we, we kind of played right into that with the, because there, it could have been a little bit better of a throw, right? We're talking about the Chris Tyree ball right there at the goal line. Could have been a little better. I still think that Chris Tyree, one, maybe could have caught that pass the way it was thrown. Two, needed to reroute a little bit and make the catch easier on himself. As it pertains to Sam Hartman, I think it not it just a product of the overall Notre Dame offensive operation not being what it needs to be Darren like the blocking hasn't been great of late we just talked about Jared Parker for the last like 45 minutes he could be a little bit better uh the wide receivers of course they could be a little bit better i think something that hasn't been asked of Marcus Freeman enough in the last 2 weeks is did you ever in, like how much did this coaching staff maybe have in the back of their minds or even in the front of their minds Throughout the offseason, think, oh, no, maybe we're going to be chucking up to the tight end because that's the only thing works type of offense again. Darren, Marcus Freeman's been the head coach of this football program for two years, both years. Tight end's been the best pass-catching threat. And I know this is tight end you. You, you see Tommy Trample catch touchdowns on Sundays and Cole Komet and it's awesome, and Mitchell Evans is going to be the next in those. Michael Mayer is going to have – an awesome NFL career, but wouldn't you rather be wide receiver you at some point? Wouldn't you? I think the fans would. And so for Hartman, yeah, some of the – like like the pick to Rico Flores was on him. Uh, He telegraphed the first one to Mitchell Evans, and that was just a bad decision. But but that goes right into what I'm saying right now. He feels like – This is a six-year guy everyone thought was so much better than Drew Pine and probably is so much better than Drew Pine, but he's in a situation where the only thing he can do is target the tight end every single down. That says something about the scheme, and that says something about what Notre Dame does not have at wide receiver. So I'm not here to just stick up for Sam Hartman. He played a bad game against Louisville. He made some poor decisions. He wasn't perfect against Duke. But, man, the operation around him has to be better, and it's just not at a level that – It needs to be right now, is it?
0: That's what we talked about last week when people were blaming that Sam had a bad game against Duke. And I pushed back on that with the explanation that you just gave and it carries over to this one. I mean, late in the ball game, he was forcing the ball. He was making throws. He normally would not make, he was trying to make something happen. So I take those with a grain of salt. The first drive, you know, the ball was underthrown. I think, Sam's in a situation this isn't exactly what he signed up for and he's doing his best to make it work but again when you're a quarterback you rely on the guys in front of you to keep the opposition away from you you expect the wide receivers to get separation so you can deliver the ball to them in a spot where they can make a catch and get yak there's just so many things around a quarterback that can help Sam's job be a whole lot better. I mean, he basically doesn't have a running game anymore. I I guess that's what's frustrating. When you get eight in the box and, as we saw, ten in the box, that's asking for a big play to happen by the offense in the passing game. You should beat the tar out of that. And they can't do it. And it's not like the opposition – As Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison on on our wide receivers. Tyler, I mean, the Louisville guys were good. They were good, solid players. Are they as good as our two? Absolutely not. Which makes me wonder, shouldn't we be able to stop the run like teams are stopping ours with the corners we have and just go down there and just close down running games? That's not happening. But Sam needs help at this time and, it's tough when the windows are really, really small, Tyler. It's It puts a lot of pressure on him, especially with no running game right now. It's it's tough. It's really tough.
1: And the windows shouldn't be that small. These wide receivers should be able to beat man coverage. If, if you're putting eight to ten players in the box, that's man coverage on the outside. It, that goes on Chris Tyree for not getting downfield against man, Tobias Merriweather. Like the guys are that are supposed to be burners. You can't only burn Central Michigan and be like, "Yes, you see, I am a seventy-five yard touchdown type of guy." Where's that against power five competition? Because if you can't do it against power five competition, then you're not that guy. And that's what I wrote at BlueAndGold.com this week was: this offense is not the one that averaged forty, you know, scored forty or more points in each of the first four games. This offense is the one averaging 18.3 points per game in the last three games because they've played the teams that matter in the last three games, and that's who they've been. They've been a team that cannot even score three touchdowns against these types of opponents. Darren, they haven't scored three or more touchdowns in a game in almost a calendar month. It's that Central Michigan game is the last time they scored three or more touchdowns in one game. They scored two touchdowns in each of the last three games. That's not all on the quarterback. It can't be. It it just can't be.
0: I know I'm the first one that pounded my fist into the table every time Brian Kelly said that Ian Book's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. It was so frustrating to hear that, knowing it's a team sport and it takes that whole team to win those games. And Ian was a good player. He wasn't an elite player. He had a really good team around him. So... In the record books, he is, but I think we would all agree there are several quarterbacks the last 25 years you would take for him. With that being said, knowing it's not an individual award, Tyler, there's a chance, and I know years are different, that Drew Pine won eight games as a starting quarterback, and there's a chance Sam Hartman would only win eight games this year. That's mind-numbing, and that is the moment where you have to reevaluate this whole thing because Sam Hartman is not Tom Brady, but Sam Hartman is still a well-above-average quarterback that can do great things for this football team, and it just feels like it's being wasted right now.
1: Yep, and as a Dallas Cowboys fan, it's been harder to back Dak lately, let's be honest. He, it, there's a big game thing missing with him. Thanks. but Big games, yeah. Take that out of the uh, conversation for a minute, and just look at last night. I know a lot of people on here probably watched last night's game, and this is a question that I posed to my friends, my family. I'm from Dallas; they're all from Dallas. It's the piling on of Dak Prescott right now is more abundant than it's ever been. However, if you take those two teams that played last night and those two quarterbacks, and you keep the rosters the exact same. Imagine if Brock Purdy was playing all-time quarterback last night. He gets to play for San Francisco? He gets to play for Dallas. Is that score any different than 42 to 10 last night if you place Brock Purdy on the Dallas Cowboys and let him run that offense? Because everyone's piling on Dak. Everyone is praising Brock Purdy. He's the he's the greatest thing since Joe Montana, right? In San Francisco. That's what I'm hearing. But Who on Dallas scares you outside of C.D. Lamb? Tony Pollard's not even having a great year. You you mentioned Notre Dame doesn't have a running game right now, Darren. Dallas doesn't have a running game. Tony Pollard's averaging like four yards per carry. You lose Zeke Elliott, you put in Tony Pollard as RB1, it hasn't worked out. And that's why they didn't pay him long term. This This was an experimental year for Tony Pollard. It's not working so far. For the Dallas Cowboys... Wide receiver core, you got C.D. Lamb. Who else do you have? Brandon Cooks. How old is that guy these days? Michael Gallup. Jake Ferguson at tight end. Does anybody even know who Jake Ferguson is? I guarantee you know who George Kittle is. Do you know who Jake Ferguson is? I don't think so. So if you put Brock Purdy in Dak Prescott's situation last night, maybe he doesn't throw three picks. Maybe he takes care of the football a little better. Does he score more than 10 points with that Dallas Cowboys team? I'm not sure. And that's the that's the same exact thing that we're talking about with Drew Pine and Sam Hartman right now, Darren. Okay. You put Drew okay. Pine on this. You, go ahead. You, you can debate. You, you can say I'm wrong, but that's the way I, I feel.
0: I, I'm I'm not a big Dak fan, so I I get where you're going there. Purdy, man, he throws an accurate football. I, I'll give him credit. But having Christian McCaffrey definitely takes a lot of pressure off. You got to really focus on stopping him. So, so can I can I go a different route? I like where you're going. If Sam Hartman played for Louisville on Saturday, would they have scored more than 33 points?
1: Um, I, I honestly think so. I, I think yes.
0: Yeah. and if I think if, yes.
1: And if Sam Hartman
0: played for Michigan and the Notre Dame fan growing up, J.J. McCarthy, was playing for Notre Dame, would Sam Hartman have done better than 52 points against Minnesota? Yeah, probably not. He and J.J. I mean, those are both. J.J.'s probably going to be up. A first yeah. round pick. So he's probably but further along. With that
1: though. What's that? But but what exactly where you're going with that? Put JJ McCarthy on this Notre Dame team against that Louisville team. Does he do any better? JJ McCarthy. He's
0: probably not going to be a big fan of the play calling here compared to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wait, that's what wait, I'm that's saying. What, I don't... Excuse me. Shame on me. Shame <laughs> on me for saying that. I mean, yeah, yeah I had JJ, this...
1: JJ McCarthy is a good quarterback. He 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 does good things for Michigan. But if you put him in this current situation with Notre Dame, tough. tough. I I don't know if JJ McCarthy beats the Louisville Cardinals in Louisville on Saturday night with with the current situation that Notre Dame has. So that I... so that answers the question: What's wrong with Sam Hartman? What's wrong with the Notre Dame offense? A lot of things.
0: I think there is plenty of conversation to go around. Uh, One guy was protected today in the press conference, and I think that's the most interesting part. And and I know there's some people that jump on late. You addressed this, but I've seen this come up a couple of times in comments. Marcus Freeman today said that Sam Hartman can audible at the line of scrimmage. People are saying he can't. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I'm telling you what the head coach said. And when there were 10 in the box and they ran right into it, apparently, had he wanted to, he could have done that. So for those people saying he can't do it or whatever, Marcus says he can. So that's all we can go by. Yep. Okay. So now we get to, let's see, you've got a little more information to pass
1: along before we get to our final question. Yes, I do. Uh, everyone on here for better or worse right now. I know you guys are all big Notre Dame fans. Whatever happens this season, uh, the rest of the Marcus Freeman era, who knows, but I do know that. You're going to want some prints like this around your house because, wow. yeah, this is Barb Stevenson. She is a phenomenal artist who comes up with prints like this. And I got a little ad read and I'm going to kind of scroll through some more while we uh, while we read that. But I mean, so, some of this artwork is just phenomenal. So if you're looking for a perfect holiday gift for a Notre Dame fan in your life or even for yourself, I I, I would get that artwork for myself. Barb Stevenson's art is your premier destination for stunning pen and ink limited edition prints of the University of Notre Dame. South Bend's own award-winning artist, Barb Stevenson, skillfully captures the essence and beauty of Notre Dame's campus through her intricate pen and ink prints, which she meticulously enhances with hand-painted metallic gold accents. I mean, look at the golden dome right there. Even the accents around uh, Touchdown Jesus. Beautiful. Beautiful making each print unique and one of a kind. And now she has added two magnificent works to her fabulous collection of limited edition prints, all of which she is offering to our listeners here at Blue and Gold and our YouTube watchers as well. So if you're listening on our podcast channel, you don't have the luxury of seeing what I'm showing the YouTube listeners right now and watchers. I mean these prints that I'm talking about are phenomenal. So to purchase or view her art, visit her website barbstevenson.com or call her at 574 574- 2108388. That is B-A-R-B-S-T-E-F-E-E-N-S-O-N dot com. Barb com. Darren, we're like two months away from uh from Christmas time, man. So if you're looking for some gifts for some of the Notre Dame fans in your life, you can't go wrong with Barb Stevenson's artwork. I, I think that stuff is phenomenal. Gorgeous.
0: Yeah, that was gorgeous. Yeah. And when you say Christmas is two months away, that makes me start to think, where will the Irish be playing in a bowl game this year? If they lose yeah. one more, the New Year Six is gone, then it kind of gets like third down and becomes a grab bag.
1: Yeah, you know who else has uh, two losses right now and maybe their resumes are lining up to play in a bowl game? Some guy that coaches at LSU now. Just saying.
0: With that young defense, inexperienced young defense, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full of juniors and seniors. <laughs>
1: That Missouri game was nuts. My colleague Jack Sobel is a Missouri grad, and we were watching that. I was was like, I grew up with Big 12 football. Are are we sure that Missouri is still not in the Big 12 and all this conference realignment? LSU has gone to the Big 12. Like, what am I watching right now?
0: I, I tell you what, very minimally I got to know Mike Denbrock when he was here on two occasions, an offensive coordinator for LSU. He's an awesome guy, awesome, awesome guy. They look good on and, that side of the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not his fault. That's for sure, but defense, wow. They were supposed to be really really good and they are not good. No, Let's no. wrap up Hey Horker with this. It is KC Indy Miss 97. To what do you attribute the explosive plays given up by the Notre Dame defense?
1: My answer to this is pretty simple and I arrived at it with a nice birds-eye view at LNN Stadium in Louisville on Saturday and kind of just my bird's eye view through seven games I've been all of these things Notre Dame isn't fast enough on defense Darren and that's the linebacker play and that's even the safety play like DJ Brown has missed some tackles this year and when we talk about missed tackling it isn't always like these guys aren't strong enough and fundamental enough to to bring a guy down you have to be fast enough to be in the right spot to bring these guys down. DJ Brown wasn't on a couple of those Jawar Jordan touchdowns the other night, specifically the one that went around the right edge and he's running down the right sideline. That's a missed tackle by DJ Brown. But I saw Maris Leofau not be fast enough to get in the right position. Jack Kaiser, everyone's clamoring for him to play more. He's a great player when he is in position, he makes tackles. He's one of the best tacklers on the team, but he was ran around a little bit. J.D. Bertrand, Guy's been making tackles for three straight years now. We know what he is, but he's also not the fastest linebacker there. And to me, it comes down to, to speed. Like the, Notre Dame needs better, more elite, faster players on defense. And, and maybe they have some of those guys on the roster like Jalen Sneed. But for whatever reason, some things are holding Jalen Sneed back from getting on the field. And, you know, is Jake is Drake Bowen – a faster middle linebacker than J.D. Bertrand, but he's just not there yet, and he can't take snaps away from J.D. Bertrand. So I think a changing of the guard is coming, and it's necessary to stop some of these big explosive plays because, to me, it, it boils down to speed. It's just one word, and it's speed. Well
0: put. Not going to say anything on top of that. I think you nailed it.
1: Yeah, so And
0: if you put the young linebackers out there, They might be out of position more than these guys. They might be able to make up more ground. So there's a little give and take.
1: Yep, absolutely. You need fast players who are also smart players. Why was Alabama good for so long? Because those dudes in the middle of that Alabama defense for 15 years, not only were they bigger and faster, but Nick Saban had them in a position to be smarter. And Kirby Smart has these same types of athletes that Alabama had for so long at Georgia right now bigger better faster uh, stronger of course is, is the uh, other word in that but for me it's speed man and, and notre dame is like these notre dame football players are smart everybody knows that but th- there's a little bit of athleticism lacking to to be on the level of you know what alabama was for so long and what georgia is right now i i don't see the same type of athletic quick twitch speed to get the ball carriers and it, It it showed up on the first Louisville drive when they went down there and scored a touchdown. I turned to the guys in the press box. I was like, these guys are a lot faster than Notre Dame right now. And if that's going to be the case all night, it's going to be a long night. It's exactly what happened.
0: Well, as we start to wrap things up on this installment of Hey Horka, one thing came to mind after the game when I was processing what I watched with the offensive line rotations that we talked about earlier and, and Shroud playing left guard and right guard and guys getting moved around. I thought back to the week before when they had that Notre Dame Coaches video and we heard everything that was going on in that final drive against Duke. I would have loved to have been able to tap into Harry Heastan's mind and get his thoughts on what he was witnessing. And I don't know whose idea it was to rotate offensive linemen. They must have thought it gave him the best chance, but I would love to know what old Harry thought because I can't ever imagine him rotating offensive linemen like happened in this game. And I'm not putting the blame on Joe Rudolph because there is an offensive coordinator whose job is to coordinate the
1: offense. He was probably pulling out whatever hair he has left Darren, when he saw the the offensive line rotation. Hey, I want to get to this comment by Patrick before we get out of here. He's in reference to my speed spiel uh did Mike Elko's defense have speed all caps speed is great but guys coach around it I think that's a good point it's um it's where you direct your speed and I think to Patrick's point one these guys already aren't as fast as some of the linebackers at some of the other programs that I was mentioning two Patrick makes a good point maybe they're not directing their speed in the right places because if DJ Brown knew where to be a step ahead of where of when he got there, maybe he doesn't need all the speed in the world to push Jawar Jordan out of bounds and, and save a touchdown. But he wasn't where he needed to be at the right time, and then on top of that, he was already not as fast as Jawar Jordan. So when you combine those two things, you're staring at a guy's number and nameplate on the back of his jersey as he's running into the end zone. So it's it's not – when I say speed is the thing that Notre Dame needs on defense, it's not an end all cure all thing, but they could absolutely use a little bit more of it. And they they definitely could point it in the right directions a little better as well. Because when I see Maris Leofau take one instep toward the middle of the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden it's a counter or it's an off tackle run going the other way, he's already out of position. So that's coaching that's smarts. And then, the third thing is he's not as fast as that guy to begin with. So if he's stuck, if you give the other guy a head start and you're already not as fast, are you going to win that race? Nope. So it, it's a lot of things, but that's just one of the things that I thought of for sure.
0: Yep. And, and I just want to close with this. I know a couple of people were talking about, well, Brian Keller was eight and five the first two years and Notre Dame didn't give up on him. Let's also put that into perspective. Tyler, at that time, the Notre Dame program was a mess. It was not what you think of Notre Dame football. It needed to be rebuilt. And whether you like Brian or not, and I know that's – everybody has a different opinion. You could argue he was the right guy at the right time that helped rebuild this program. He got it going in a really good direction. Then he had that bad year. He made changes and came back up. But I think if you look throughout BK's tenure – and I think this is fair to say about Michigan. I, I'm a, I like watching the Big Ten, but I don't watch every Michigan game. But when BK was going good and now Michigan's going good, I think Kelly and Harbaugh had one thing in common. They had the right coordinators. They have the right coaches to help steer their football team. And you look back, way, way back with Tyron Willingham, he did not have a strong offensive coordinator. He had a buddy, and it was just you don't want to know. So I guess my point is Marcus inherited a much better situation. Was it a top of the line Notre Dame, Brian Kelly program when he took over? No, I think the talent had dipped a little bit, but we were just three years away from as of right now from making the playoff. So comparing eight and five at eight and five with Kelly and nine and four and nine and four, whatever with Marcus, I, I think it is a whole different situation as Brian was remaking the whole thing. Marcus He didn't have a Ferrari starting out, but he probably had a Mercedes Benz to get things going. So, but my point is, I think when you have the right coordinators in position, it gives you the best chance to succeed as a head coach. And I think to get Al Golden was a great move. I'm still a golden guy. I think he's a guy with the right personnel and an offense that's clicking that can, that can do some really, really great things here. But On the offensive side, it's just – there's a lot of things going on that I don't think we understand, and I just think for Marcus, for him to be the best he can be after all 12 games, not now, but after all 12 games and then the 13th, you got to reevaluate, do you have guys in position to be the best or do the best for this program? Can you get the most – out of this Notre Dame program from the coaching staff that you have right now. I think Marcus does a good job of planning. I think he has done a great job of looking ahead and pre-planning, but I will say in some of his decision-making, I wonder if he thinks about it too much and then doesn't adjust to the moment because some of these late game decisions have been a little cringeworthy. So I'll end with that and I'll let you finish off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll piggyback that last point that you made and kind of expound upon it a little bit. I think Marcus Freeman is good at identifying the things that yes. need to be changed, yep. but he hasn't been experienced enough to actually know what to do and how to change them. And here's another point to that, Darren, the best head coaches, it, it, whether they've been around for long enough or they're literal geniuses and wizards and they know what's coming the best head coaches identify what's going to go wrong before they actually go wrong. And then you get out ahead of it. You, instead of reacting, you're proactive. I'm not sure Marcus, Marcus Freeman is, has been great at being reactive. Like he, yes. he knows what's wrong. He knows what's wrong when it happens. Does he know it's what's wrong before it happens? I, I'm not sure he's there yet as a head coach. And do you expect him to be probably not, but two years into this, like two years ago, was he the right guy at the right time? Probably. But he still needs to be surrounded by the right guys. Like you were saying, Darren, is Jared Parker, the right guy? I'm not sure. We're going to see. He goes down with Jared Parker. If Jared Parker goes down, he goes down with him. And then the other side of that is what is what I was saying like if he knew jared parker wasn't going to work he has to have the gall to tell jack swarbrick like hey this can't be the guy like as much as he loves jared parker he's got to say this can't be the guy and i'm not sure he had the like the oomph to say no jared parker's not the guy he probably said we can win with jared parker we could win with these other guys but we could still win with jared parker maybe he's finding out that's not the case i don't know I'm not all the way out on Jared Parker yet, just to clarify. But it has gotten to a point where Jared Parker has to show me something in the last five games. Otherwise, I I would love to see Marcus Freeman make the first really tough decision of his tenure. Wouldn't that be the first really tough decision of his tenure to say, hey, thanks, Jared, but we kind of need to kickstart this thing in another way? I think that would – like if he does that, if he recognizes that, and that's the reactiveness that I'm talking about, then I think it would make a lot of Notre Dame fans happy, and maybe it puts the offense on the right path because if it keeps going down the path that it has these last three games, he's got to do something, and that would be the first really big thing that he does in his coaching tenure here.
0: I'm not a cheerleader, but I'll say this. I hope Marcus works because he's great for Notre Dame. The fans yes. love him. He's a great, great for the media. <laughs> Yeah, he's great with the media. There are so many positive You want this to work, and that's when I say, "What he got hired." I don't know if he's going to win enough games because he has no resume as a head coach. But I hope it works because I think we all enjoy him as the head coach. That doesn't mean you get to stay for five, six years trying to figure it out. But I'll just close with this: I want it to work. But in the history of Notre Dame football, the third year is a big year for Notre Dame football coaches. History has shown that. And just keep in mind after year three, we will have a new AD in place before that third year gets underway. So Mr. Bavakwa, I have no idea his thoughts on Marcus Freeman or, or anything like that, but that could be dropped into his lap. It's a guy he inherited. Does he want to go a different direction? That's just something I hope we don't have to worry about. I hope Marcus figures this out, kills it, and is here forever. But Again, the history of Notre Dame shows that third year is big. And if you go nine and four, nine and four, and then whatever, then you have to have a really tough conversation. And again, it'll be a new administration when that thought process begins.
1: Totally agree with you, Darren. This 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 was not a nine and four program that he took over. It again you said it was the Brian Kelly era was dipping a little bit i totally agree with that that 11 and 1 season in 2021 was a little hollow it wasn't the strongest 11 and 1 Notre Dame team that we could have seen but it wasn't 9 and 4 and that's what Marcus Freeman put down in year 1 that's what he's staring at in year 2 uh, it can't it can't go this way in year 3 9 and 4 9 and 4 9 and 4 wouldn't work
0: and you wonder at some point If you're sticking with Parker, do you bring in someone that is veteran? This is a bad example, but a David Cutcliffe, who's retired, kind of one of those gurus of the Mannings and everything. Do you bring in someone of that nature during the offseason to evaluate the whole thing and lay down some parameters? Maybe you guys should go this way. I, I think everything has to be on the table.
1: Yep. And we will finish with the, the super chat that kind of goes along those lines from starting three. Maybe the new AD will pay a Ludwig type. You were going even more advanced than the Ludwig type, Darren, you were going and let you know, the, the senior analyst comes in to diagnose the thing, but Hey, if it's an OC or if it's somebody in the administration or just on staff and in a non on field role, whoever it is, it's like come fix this offense type of thing. I think, Freeman has to, has to do that.
0: Yep. He might have some difficult decisions from, you know, to make about some friends he's got on this coaching staff, but who knows, maybe the next five games will be totally different and we'll not be having this conversation anymore. Let's hope that's the case.
1: We will see. We'll have a, either, either the tone will be the exact same and even more on the, uh, we're going off the ledge at this time next week, Darren, or Notre Dame gets, What I think – and we'll end with this. I think this would be the biggest win of the Marcus Freeman. And it's maybe not that profound because you're only judging it against Clemson. But I think this would be bigger than Clemson if if Notre Dame beats USC on Saturday. What do you think?
0: Interesting. In his his first full year, that put him on the map. This Mm -hmm. win could help redirect the perception of the program, which probably is more important.
1: Yeah, it's a rivalry game. It's an undefeated team. It's the reigning Heisman trophy winner. I think this would be the biggest win of the Marcus Freeman era. And it's it's timeliness. It would come at the most appropriate time if Notre Dame won this game. Because then you go and do a bye week and you say, okay, are we going to make the college football playoff? No, but can we go 10-2? and two? Yes. And we went eight and four last year. So this one's huge. We didn't talk a whole lot about it in this show because Notre Dame has so many issues of its own that we needed to diagnose and address. But uh, a, a win here, that's the difference between six and two. You beat your rival, you beat Caleb Williams. You go into your bye week saying, okay, maybe we can do something here in the last month of the season. Um, a loss. And we are talking about uh, some some really bad things next week, Terrence.
0: Oh, yeah. If they lose double digits to USC, it's it's going to be
1: a long show. On oh, the day
0: in which Marcus Freeman had his shortest Monday press conference, we had our longest, Hey Horka.
1: Yeah, I think we just broke our record. So, Will, let's get out of here. You guys, uh, thank you for watching live, for sure, if you were doing that, if you're listening back on Apple or Spotify, definitely like this podcast, tell your friends about it. Uh, go to blueandgold.com where you can really be a part of it because the four questions that we got to today that Darren asked me, those were first asked by blueandgold.com message board subscribers. That's what we do every week and it's really become a fun thing. I, I've enjoyed doing it for sure.
0: And thanks to all the people with comments I was watching as I was doing the show and you guys are smart <laughs> and funny at the same time and Always enjoyable. So thanks for taking the time. And we will see you next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern time on a Horker on the blue and gold YouTube channel. Go Irish.